Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Eyes in the Mines. My name is John. That's Ian. What is up? Today is November, I almost said October, November 8th. Yeah. And this is episode 70, where we're going to talk about an energetic Pro Tour. Yeah. Well, so yeah, the Pro Tours this past weekend. The name kind of explains it all, but we'll get into that. We'll get into that. But first, before we do, we're going to turn our eyes to the community. And because there's a lot of things that actually happened that weren't the Pro Tour. Uh, first up, Ian, you were playing Magic at a competitive level last weekend. Well, competitive competitive REL, for sure. It's still, yeah. it's still listed as a casual event on a w- Reporter. That's because it was the latest edition of Rags to Riches, the pauper tournament held by Card Kingdom's now... Well, the, the shop formerly known as Card Kingdom now just mocks Boarding House Seattle. Um, and it was fun. Uh, it's, it's the first time I've actually gotten to play some like straight-up paper magic in literal freaking months, and my god, I missed it. Um, I went 3-3. Three and three. Doesn't sound that great, but I did lose to Delver twice. Uh, or blue-red Delver, I should say, because there is a mono-blue Delver deck. Um, funnily enough, I think the blue-red in it... So the old mono-blue Delver decks are now blue-red-ish, kind of just splashing on red for Scred. <laughs> I mean, Scred's a very powerful card. It is, and all they, of course they've switched to just simply Snow Basics now. As you um, do. Yeah, and they have Ash Barons, which is amazing with basic land cycling, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, the Evolving Wilds that they have in the decks, too. So basically, Delver decks, if they're able to stick an early creature, and then if it's not Delver, but they can put out a Ninja of the Deep Hours, those things can run over you quickly. I sequenced Kill Spells Wrong one game, accidentally put down a Tron piece when I meant to put down a... Uh, filter land that I could just tap to add any color to my so basically you pay into it and tap it it's like uh, painted bluffs but it, it was a uh, un- shimmering grotto unknown yeah, no, shimmering grotto a shimmering grotto in my deck but it's literally like the same card reprinted um, I yes. had to put that down and filter filter red into it to uh, flame slash it the turn after it came down so it would only draw one card didn't do that, and by the time I was able to actually do it, they had the counter magic back up, and it was just off to the races. They stuck a second one, and it was drawing two cards a turn and just ran me over with card advantage. I did lose to a dredge deck, and yes, it seems ambitious in in popper, but it it's it runs stinkweed amp, obviously, and. It's literally just a bunch of the Amonkhet cycling creatures. Yeah, that makes sense. Like Stripe Riverwinder. And mm-hmm. I forget the enchantment, but it's a blue base enchantment uh, that gives a creature flying. If it's in the graveyard, when a creature with uh, CMC 6 or greater... Oh, Dragon Wings? It's it's a blue it's blue based or something like that. Yeah, dragon's wing. Yeah. But oh anyway, my god. Yeah. It, it, when it, if that's in the graveyard and a, CM, a creature with CMC six or greater enters the battlefield, you may attach it to that creature out of your graveyard. Scourge, baby. The deck literally runs exhum. That is the only way to get <laughs> stuff out of the graveyard. Which is not bad for uh, me necessarily because you know I'm oftentimes I'm evoking Moldrifter to the graveyard, but it's kind of disgusting. 
it's hard to beat a five five hexproof when you have a two two flyer. Uh, it's damn near impossible. <laughs> yeah. Um, I. Uh, do they also play the other? Do they play Dragon's Breath or do they just play Dragon's Wings? No, and that's the blue enchantment. No, because it was a blue enchantment. Yeah, dragons wing. So there's a cycle of dragons auras from Scourge. Okay, yes, it was the blue which all had that line of text that said, you know, if a creature CMC six or greater comes into play and this is in your graveyard, you can return it to play attached to that creature. Yeah, it um, was. Yeah, either way, I beat one version of it earlier in the day and then lost to another version of it in round six. I mean, I probably would have. I was at three and two at the time. My breakers were probably crap enough that I wasn't going to make top eight anyway. Because you can make yeah. you can make out breakers at four and two. I think one person did, but uh, it it wasn't bad um, for being away from the deck. It's it's a deck that I put enough reps in that I know a lot of the play lines. I know a lot of the play patterns. So it's kind of like riding a bicycle and stuff like that. I played a couple leagues on Magic Online before I went back or before I went to Rags to Riches. So I gotten some more reps in with the deck again. Uh, a couple different sideboard options that. Not entirely sure how well they felt. Um, I did get an achievement unlocked against one of those Delver players, and uh, what's the name? It's uh, uh, the Evan Carr card. Evan Carr's Justice. Yes, Evan Carr's Justice. I got an achievement unlocked. So Evan Carr's Justice is two black black with buyback three. Um, uh, deal two damage to all creatures. And each player, yeah, deal two damage to all creatures, and each player loses two life. Yep. So I had to fog my opponent's attack, like all out swing on the attack step, one turn with a moment's peace. Then I swing with my two mole drifters while he's tapped out. Literally everything's tapped out. Hit him, hit him down for f- to sixteen, and then I just start going. Okay, Evan Carr's justice, go. Evan Carr's justice, go. Evan Carr's justice, go. And ended up actually killing him off. With Evan Carr's Justice bought back multiple yeah, times. Yeah, Evan Carr's Justice also win condition of the Mystical Teachings decks that oh, go the, to the absurd late game. Oh, blue black teachings, yeah, yeah. The but, card's silly. Yeah, but it was great. Um, I enjoyed bringing that one in a sideboard. Um, I definitely tweaked the deck a little bit more. Um, but I, I couldn't. I I I was playing Bajukabog in the main deck, <laughs> which was great, and I was playing a singleton. Uh, What's it called? Expedition map. Mm, yep. Which is very powerful card. Um, I did lose to the Dreadjack one game because I drew four of Urza's mine before I drew my third my my third Tron piece. <laughs> that seems less than relevant. And I didn't have colored mana up until later, and I was like, "This is bad." But yeah. Yeah, that's that's not great. Yeah, the problem with playing Tron lands is that you rely heavily on ETB tap color lands or the filter lands or um, prophetic prism, but yep. it's a fun deck. I enjoy it. Um, you have brief tournament synopsis, but for me anyway, um, I I need to get playing more paper magic. We'll talk about. It. I know we've been trying to save for the last couple of weeks. We'll, we'll talk about getting back into the swing of things with the game. But Pro Tour happened. Takes up like two weeks. Um, yep. Of the, of, the, of the show, but next week or at least the week after, before Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving, we're going to talk about it. So exactly. Uh, other things, uh, Front of the Vault Transform, the entire card list came out on Monday. Uh, we knew Huntmaster of the Fells, we knew Delver of Secrets, we knew Liliana of the Last Hope, or not Liliana of the Last Hope, Liliana of Heretical Healer, and then the uh, the rest of it is uh, 
Delver of Secrets with new art by uh, Luis Las- Luis Lasado. I'm, I'm trying to read the name on the on the I website. For, I forgot to say it. Yeah, it's it's Luis Lasahito. Sorry if I butchered your name. And then um, a new Garrick art by a person whose name I don't want to mispronounce. Oh no, there it is. Um, Gregor's Rudkowski's. Yeah, yeah. Anyways. Uh, those three all got new art, and then the rest of it is Archangel Avison, Argil's Bloodfast from Ixalan, Arlen Cord, Bloodline Keeper, Gisela and Bruna from Eldritch Moon, uh, Elbrus the Binding Blade, which is one of my favorite cards to see in Commander because it's so funny. Uh, because the backside is a 13-13 Flying Intimidate Trample that whenever a player loses the game, put 13 plus plus counters on Withengar Unbound. What the it's what? Amazing. <laughs> yep. It's, it's a, okay, so for those who don't know, Elbrus the Binding Blade is a 7-mana legendary artifact equipment. The equipped creature gets plus 1, plus 0. It has equipped cost of 1. When the equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, unattach Elbrus the Binding Blade, then transform it, which is which turns into Withengar Unbound, a 13-13 Flying Intimidate Trample. That's a legendary creature demon that says whenever a player loses the game, you put 13 plus plus counters on it. I like it. It's great. But one of the big concerns that some people had was why did we see Liliana Protocol Healer on the front of the packaging and not Jace Rance Prodigy? Why would they not reprint Jace here? Well, it turns out that they're reprinting all five of the Flipwalkers uh, with their Magic Origins art. Yep, which is not terrible. Though, I will say this, of all of these cards, I'm happy to get a bunch of these foil ones. I, I, I really want the Delver ones for... Yeah, the, the new Delver art is sick. Yeah, um... But I feel bad. Well, fortunately, I was able to pick one up before the price spiked on Bloodline Keeper. Yeah. Back when uh, Markov's deck came out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I still actually have some foil Kithians from back in the day <laughs> when it, when Magic Origins came out. There but, you go. Uh, it'll be, it, it looks not like a terribly bad set value-wise. Um, obviously, we did get a couple new arts, which is cool. Uh it's, I, w- it's I wish there were more new arts, but I understand why there are only three cards with new art, because it's set technically six new arts, so I get it. Yeah, so besides... So we've got like... Four and five. So five cards in this set that came out kind of before we really started getting back into the game. Yep. The majority of these cards are like literally from like the last year and a half, two years. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like... Uh, we're kind of really pushing the limits of from the vaults at that point, you know? Yeah. I mean, that said, this was from the vault transform. I thought that they might do stuff like, um, like the flip cards. Cause even though they technically aren't transform cards, they are cards that transform. Um, I also thought that they might do cards like some, some of the delirium or threshold cards that don't necessarily like actually physically transform. But I do like that. These are all double face cards, which mm-hmm. is great. Yeah, and the one thing people are hoping for is that because both sides are foiled, the infamous FTV foiling process will actually like counteract itself and not curl. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. But it's going to be nice to get a, a foil printing of JVP mm-hmm. on the semi-cheap now-ish. Pseudo-cheap. Yeah. Well, just got to buy the whole set. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, my other favorite thing about these are how the set symbol is reversed on the other side. Yes. It's great. I love it. Yeah. Whoever, whoever, whoever decided to do that, 
give that person a raise. Yeah. So November 24th is going to be a pretty pricey day. <laughs> Not only because for the Vault Transform, but also today or yesterday, yeah, yesterday, one of those two days. Yesterday. They announced the special Black Friday deal that if you go to your local game store and buy a box of Ixalan, you'll get a special um, booster, which is a Ixalan treasure chest, which contains, I think it's like eight cards. Um, but it's, the big prize is a foiled double face card from Ixalan, but there's one big change to it. So the backside of it, so you're you're, look, you're talking like Search for Azcanta and uh, Treasure Map and Argo's Bloodfast. The backside of it actually has a map, but the art is the map of where it's located on the plane of Ixalan in the kind of yeah. style. So if you haven't already seen the Store Champion playmat, which is what they're calling the game day thing now, so uh, the Store Champion playmat has just a giant art of Ixalan. And it's, it's a actually, giant map. And it's very stylized, like an old pirate map kind of thing like that. And each of these arts has the map of where it's located in the world, and I think it's so cool. I, I'm yes. not going to lie, like, I actually kind of want to go buy one of these booster boxes now just to get a treasure chest. Because I was looking at... I wanted to get one of the really super-sized buy box treasure boosters that they had before but i think this alternate double face card art thing is a hell of a lot cooler than the burning sun's avatar uh promo that was in the original one so it's one alt art double face card two premium foil basic lands that's going to be the falling star foils i think i don't know does it say that it just says two premium foil basic lands i don't know either that it's one of the ones it's one of the jace lands whatever Anyways, four rare or mythic rares from standard legal sets and two premium foil cards from any standard legal set. So that could be like a couple foil commons. Or yeah. you could have a couple foil mythics. I don't know. You never know. You could get lucky. Yeah, but I, I, the backsides of these cards are really freaking cool. I, I love the style, how stylized they are. Although, personally, I'm not sure how I feel about them. In what way? They look cool, but I'm not sure they're... like. I think that they're very cool, and I think that it's a unique take. However, I don't think the backside looks like a magic card. It looks like a playing card from another game. Oh, absolutely. Well, yeah, because also the backside still has the very stylized legendary land yeah, it still has treasure the border. map-ish border on it. Yeah, it still has the border, but like, I'm not... Personally, I don't know how I feel about them yet. I think I, I would like to see one in person before I make a final judgment. Yeah, it, it's. I know it's been kind of a point of contention too. Like, does this even look good on the regular cards? Let alone where it doesn't even actually have magic art. But yeah. I honestly think it's pretty cool. I think it's yeah. a new design space that they're trying out in terms of. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's just see how. Let's throw this against the wall and see if it sticks. Yeah. Also, another cool thing um, is that the front sides have the Ixalan uh, set symbol kind of as a um, a backer to the text box, which I think is really cool, too. Yes. I don't know what the official terminology for that is. but Set logo they look, as the watermark? The watermark, that's the word. That's gotcha. what I was thinking of. Gotcha. Man. All right. So, yeah, all those things are cool. Um, next week uh, are Unstable Previews. 
Yeah. Which oh. is going to be fun. And also, need to know too, on the 24th, the same day, coming out, Explorers of Ixalan as well. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, it's yeah. going to be an expensive Black Friday. For the magic player in your life. Yes, go Christmas it's shop. Be yeah. it, they're hitting it great timing for that Christmas rush for the Magic player. And it's like, what do you need? Well, all this cool Christmassy stuff is coming out on Black Friday. Go buy me. Go buy me Magic let me, cards. Let me assemble a list. <laughs> let me count as it is. So. Exactly. But this past weekend, Pro Tour Ixalan happened. And uh, by all accounts, it was a very, uh, very well-run event. And there were a few... DQs that happen, we're not going to talk about those. Those have been rehashed and rehashed a hundred times on Reddit and Twitter and all that fun stuff. Yeah, usually we don't talk about those kind of DQs unless it's like with a very notable player. These weren't... I think one of them was like against LSV. Or not like yeah. the player playing against LSV or something like that. It doesn't really matter. Um, you can go find it, read it yourself. We don't need to really comment, discuss on that kind of thing. But... The event went well. Uh, my prediction did not happen because the tokens decks turns out they kind of got eight. Um, everybody, energy. Everybody came prepared for the token decks. <laughs> Everyone came prepared for the token decks. Energy was the deck that ruled the weekend. Uh, Teamer Energy, Four Color Energy, and Sulta Energy all came in with a massive metagame percentage with 48.3% of the day one metagame being one of these three energy decks. There were also a few pummeler lists. They were kind of skirting around the edge. And they all made 48.8% of the day to metagame with conversion rates in the 60 to 70%. The deck is good. Um, sadly, like what we were kind of talking about last week in the preview is, is somebody going to bring something cool that can break the meta? What can beat energy? What can beat this kind of deck and can it handle ramen up red turns out the way to beat teamer energy is to go sultai literally drop <laughs> the red for black so it's either go sultai or go four color so that you can get just go over the top of those teamer energy lists yeah and it's it's kind of sad honestly um we we got the the grand experiment of hey will this shake will we see a meta shake up or we see someone bring something new and spicy to the to pro tour um, that can actually handle this well established meta game and it turns out it's like man eh, well outside of a couple lists here and there like Guillaume Matignon he brought Jeskai approach so we were, we had talked about the blue white approach and the red white approach he just combined all of them together uh, and only ran two approaches seconds on his deck and apparently sideboarded them out for like a locust god and more torrential gear hulks and turn into a jeskai control deck after sideboarding seems reasonable so uh it's kind of one of those all right cool um one cool deck out of, out of nowhere was a mono white vampire aggro list that actually ended up with eight wins and was like one of those like apparently it's some people are like, yeah, that deck's just not good. It was able to beat up on a, a meta that it designed for. I'm like, well, it's been the meta that exists, so... Yeah. It, it has its roots in the Oketra Monument decks. Um, it's just straight up beats you with vampires. Yep. Anyways. Did you see, did you, um, so did you see any like decks outside the norm that you really that stood out to you, or was it just like, eh, more of the same? 
It seemed a lot like more of the same. I know that on day one they did try they did they tried very very hard not to have a lot of the team energy decks kind of going on and on and on and on. Um, but I mean, if I was going to that pro tour, I would have brought Raman up red. I would have been unoriginal and burn face. Yeah, you said that last week, but I did. And which was not bad because Ramanap Red had a 19.9 percent of the day one meta game, and after its converge after the day two cuts had made up 22 percent of the day two meta game, second only to Teamer Energy, which made up 23 percent of the day two meta. Yeah, and like we mentioned with the tokens decks, like you said, mentioned probably eight decks got put into day two. Only three of them had six or better wins. So those people who had the eight decks that got in there. Five of them had some darn good draft results to put them in a day two. Yeah. It, yeah, um, it seems is, like... And that's kind of the story. Like, when you look at the Pro Tour decks, if you ever go look at them, they're not going to list, like, oh, this person was 10-2, and two, or, or, like, not 10-2 wouldn't work, but, like, they just list the number of standard wins that you get. Like, nine wins, yeah. eight wins, seven wins, six wins. They only show up to six wins, but it's a case of there's just a whole butt-ton of energy. Yeah. Which wasn't terrible, because when we look at the top eight, uh, the top eight was Christian Hawk on Team Energy, uh, uh, Peter Glogowski on Four Color Energy, uh, Samuel Illenfeld yep. on Marty Vehicles, Mike Sedgrist on Four Color Energy, John Rolfe on Ramanop Red, Guillaume Matignon on Jeskai Approach, Seth Manfield on Soltai Energy, and Pascal Maynard on Blue White God Pharaoh's Gift. Yeah, so the one thing that throughout the weekend everyone was saying is like people were cheating on a braid in their deck lists and one great thing about energy goldfish which is like the main site i use when i look at decks because they have a nice little top card section top creatures and spells and stuff like that a braid is the number eight played card across literally two-thirds of the decks that made this like six wins or greater list mm-hmm. <laughs> and i'm like so cheating on it but what what ended up happening is it just got dispersed instead of like them playing like three or four they were probably playing like two or mm-hmm. three one in the main and like two in the cyborg kind of thing hedging they weren't it wasn't as prevalent and heavily cyborged into or whatever but it still existed so every, like the whole like oh no one's playing a braid it's like they're playing a braid it's just not where they need it when they need it and if there's a deck that can kind of capitalize on the lack of a brain, it is Godfarer's Gift. And Mardu Vehicles, which... And Mardu Vehicles. Blast from the past. Um, so the fun story about the Mardu Vehicles pilot, Sam Illenfeld, he's from Minneapolis. He's friends with the wonderful girls from the, uh, Magic the Amateuring cast. <laughs> so yep. right after he actually made Top 8, by beating Reed Duke of all people... <laughs> on camera i wasn't watching live but i but i heard the uh the uh the shock waves yeah i would actually that. i so i finished my round six got my car threw on the audio for the pro tour right during the middle of that match like right like right towards the beginning of game three and i'm just i was just from everything that he was saying he just sounded so incredibly like I can't believe like I beat someone because Reeves ranked number one at the time. I think they've already they haven't announced the new rankings yet. Uh, the new rankings can, are out. Oh, they are. Yeah, uh, Reed's number two. Yeah, Reed's number two to Seth. Manth. I mean, I think it's uh, I think it's Seth's well, one. we'll we'll get to the we'll get to the the actual list rankings here in a bit. But, but 
Sam beat the number one ranked player in the world, who's Reed Duke, who's just an amazing player as it is, but he's like, yeah, so nice and all kind of stuff like that. First off, the deck is that Sam brought, like he obviously plays this deck a lot because he knows the ins and outs, the lines, how to play it very well because he's foiled it out. So he's obviously cares a <laughs> little bit about the deck. Like literally his mm-hmm. deck was basically all foiled out. I'm like, there's a pilot who has not given up the ghost on Marty Vehicles <laughs> yet. Nope. Um, Veteran Motors is back in the list. Uh, we don't have Gideon anymore, but... He was saying in one of his post-game interviews, I don't know if he caught this, but uh, he's got three Hazaret in the main. <laughs> she because she is the business. <laughs> she gives she, she gives everything. She gives the opponents the business. Yeah, she can crew everything. Plus, if you're able to chuck a lot of your cards out of your hand by the time you're dumping Hazard on the battlefield, she could probably be swinging in and chunking in too. Yeah. So Hazaret is a very strong card. Yep, but it's. Just basically your bog standard Marty Vehicles list. There's nothing really crazy about the list. They played two Bomac Courier in the main. It's kind of like a hedge against losing um, uh, Thraven Inspector. Yep, that's smart. And PNLR was doing some work in terms of her actual ability to give a target artifact plus one plus O, oh, or target cre- artifact creature plus one plus O oh, to end a turn. So she was mm-hmm. actually like contributing to wins and i think actually contributed to a loss Ooh. Uh, i think it was with um when sam was playing mike sigrist in the semi in the quarterfinals uh i think people were saying that sigrist missed a pump activation off of a zombified pia and i was oh. like I, I need to go back and look at the line but i think that was one of the things that like everyone's like oh god siggy kind of messed up but no sam did a great job um pro tour rookie making a top four <laughs> immediately called for the next one yeah and so just hell of a job by him um mm. it, other than that like what godfair's gift like i said people weren't really packing their braids properly and no. godfair's gift just you know he did work yeah and then when we get to the finals, the finals were between Seth Manfield on Soltai Energy and Pascal Maynard on uh, Godfaro's Gift, and Seth wins in five, three to two, over Pascal Maynard. Yeah, there was a uh, some really good magic. If you want to go watch some good stuff, just go watch the finals. Oh yeah. Um, so Seth- as as we mentioned, the new number one is Seth Manfield. Number two is Reed Duke. Number three is Paolo Vitor Damodarosa. PV. Number four is Huey Jensen, and number five is Owen Turtwald. Oh, so they've moved up in the rankings now. So literally the PGO yes. is in the top five. Like, I know we, we were talking before the Pro Tour, they were in the top seven. Yeah, they are now three of the top five. Um, so so speaking <laughs> speaking of teams, good lord. Yeah. Oh, by the way, Pascal Maynard went from not ranked to 19th. Yeah, second place will do that to you. Yeah. But the big thing with Seth is the fact that I think he has four Pro Tour top eights now, and he has a world championship. Yeah. I think it's very likely that he's a a firm lock for Hall of Fame once he once his number comes up. So here's the funny thing about that, is that I think in the next couple of years we're going to see pros very reticent to have more than two in every class. So... It, it really is going to depend who he's paired up with in the year that he's going in first ballot-wise. But 
four PT top eights, a world championship, and a pro tour victory are very hard to top. Oh yeah. Plus a couple. I think he's got like maybe a GP win or two here and there too. So that's he's got wins yeah. like every level. It, it does depend on exactly like who is his, who is in his class because I'm not necessarily saying that he's a first ballot. I do think that he is going to make the Hall of Fame. Maybe not the first year, although he has the resume to make it first year. Let's put it this way. By the time he's eligible, he has more than enough chances to put up more Pro Tour top eights. Yes, exactly. He's got, like, even Reed Duke isn't eligible for the Pro Tour or the Hall of Fame yet. Like, that. I think just, he's two years out. I think two or three years out. I think he's, like, 2020. Yeah. Potentially. But, yeah, Seth's a couple more years out than that. And Seth Manfield is playing some great magic in the last couple years. Basically, once he exploded into his world champion into the uh the world championship win like he's just been playing outstanding magic oh yes and hats off to seth he's definitely put in the work and uh hopefully there's nothing but great things in his magic playing future yeah so from here on out it's kind of weird standards in a really kind of awkward place there's really nothing left to explore I mean, I don't know if if that's the right phrasing, but the thing I think the correct way to think of it is that we went into the Pro Tour hoping that they would shake up the metagame, and it turns out that the metagame was exactly what it was. Yeah, well, I meant like I was using the kind of explore joke a little bit, and but oh, uh, sorry, I missed that one. Yeah, eh, eh, eh. eh. Anyway, um, <laughs> we're in kind of like. A lull right now. We have a couple more GPs and stuff like that between now and when Rivals comes out. Like GP Atlanta is this weekend. Yes, yeah, so we got a couple, another couple more GPs and stuff like that. So there is stuff for people to play. Maybe they're going to try and like now that we've seen. Okay, look, this is what people expect the meta to be. Maybe there is something that can attack from the outside, and you know, one of those one-shot glory decks where it's like, I'm going to win one. Like I've geared for this literally this tournament, and if you play this any other time, you're just gonna lose, like left and right kind of thing. Yeah. Attack the field you're expecting for that weekend kind of deck. Maybe we'll see it in the next couple weeks. Um, but for right now, I really think standards just kind of like at where it's at. Yeah. Which is also I where mean, I have a few is. friends who are going down to Atlanta. Um, uh, one of them is bringing Sultai Energy. The other is bringing um, Esper tokens, I believe. Oh, so, so it's uh, so it's Vinny. It's not Vinny actually. Vinny's not going. <laughs> Damn. Vinny is very busy. Yeah, but, but no, it's, it's her tokens make up. Probably Vinny. <laughs> no, but speaking of where things are at, draft. It's it's what it was. It's weird. It's still weird. Like. The one of the ones that I was able to catch over the weekend, like it just felt like it was all over the place. If you don't, if you don't read your seat well, at least all right. So the difference between a pro tour draft and you going on Magic Online drafting is obviously you're going to people are going to stick more to their lane on an online draft because you don't ever have to play that player ever again necessarily when you draft in a league. At these tables, they got to play in that pod with people who drafted that stuff. So you need to actually be paying attention more to the signals again. If you don't read your signals within the first like four or five cards, your draft deck can go completely off the rails in this format because odds are by the time you figure out, oh, I might be in these one one of these two colors, you're already like six, seven pack, six, seven cards in, and you don't. There's not a lot of playables after that on the back half of some of these packs unless somebody's just completely not playing a color 
at a table. Yeah. Um, if you completely misread what tribe is available at your seat and don't jump into it too, too late, you might have accidentally put somebody further downstream of you into that thing. So you're going to get cut off in pack two. So your pack two is going to be off and then pack three will be weird as well. Yeah, it's uh, like with unlike some sets, it's you really need to make sure you know what you're doing. Yeah, it's from everything. I mean, I have only drafted it like once, and it just felt incredibly unforgiving. If, yeah, it's not easy, especially if you try to draft a big tribal synergy and you don't see enough of that tribe. It's just not going to work out for you. Yeah, especially if like three people at your table are drafting it, you're all going to end up with very mediocre decks, and through no fault of your own, like you might be like. Sweet, I'm all in on this, and it's like, oh wait. Literally, after four packs, the people might be on the other side of the table, and they're cutting all that stuff off at that side. So you cut them off of a couple cards, and they cut you off, and it just viciously cycles through where you're not going to get amazing decks. Um, yeah. Obviously, people are really hoping that Rivals corrects the course corrects it. Um, odds are it might. Uh, we saw this with Amonkhet and Hour. Like, Amonkhet wasn't nearly as unforgiving as a draft format as this one, though. Uh, No, not really. I think the big thing is that the mana in Ixalan is really bad. And I think that's part of it. Oh, yeah, because remember, like, once everyone realized, especially when Hour came out, everyone's like, oh, my God, take all the lands, take all the deserts, kind of thing like that. And We'll see. Rivals, we don't even really have anything besides what... um, Silver Girl Adept. Silver Girl Adept. Like, the... And a Grinchal... I forget the name. Yeah, we only have two cards from Rivals, and it's like, yeah, okay, that tells me everything I need to know. Yo, not. No. <laughs> um, honestly, I just hope that... I might try drafting more when the next set comes out, but this just... I didn't had limited time as it was, and with my very small time frame, the set just didn't wow me, honestly, yeah. draft-wise enough to even, like bother busting my butt to learn it mm-hmm. um it's kind of a shame but it is what it is like say lovey when when most of the pros are just like Meh. <laughs> can we just go to can we just get the standard <laughs> it's exactly it says a bunch and plus you can look at like some 3-0 decks you can look at some like some of the decks pros are posting it's like look at this awesome deck it's like yeah this deck went one and two and someone posts like a 3-0 deck and it's like what is this doing exactly there's no rhyme. Exactly. There's really no rhyme or reason to what a successful deck necessarily is. You can get like the Nutter Butter uh, Merfolk deck, and it just goes meh. Or you could just yeah. be drafting Grixis stuff and just be like, I've got all the kill kill spells. Ha ha ha! Watch me win. It's an odd format. Yep. But anyway, so we mentioned a little bit about teams. Yeah, team series. So. At the end of one Pro Tour, the top four are as follows. Genesis is at 52 points after, thanks to Seth Manfield's win. It is one point ahead of Channel Fireball. And then in third and fourth are Team Ultra Pro and a Team Ultimate Guard. Yeah, so this is... Kind of where we expected things to be. Like, literally the top three are, like, 50, 52, 51, and 50 points. And ultim- mm-hmm. Ultimate Guard with PGO is at 47. Now, PGO didn't put anybody into the top eight. 
Well, I mean, had Reed won. Had Reed won, he would have been in top eight. Yeah, but... CFB put Sigrist in top eight. Yeah. Ultra Pro didn't, man, Ultra Pro didn't put anybody in the top eight. <laughs> <laughs> but they had they, all these teams had a great showing, obviously. Um, it looks like 50 points is kind of where you want to be to be at the top of the t- be at the top of the team rankings at, 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 at least after this Pro Tour. Um, we'll see how the next few Pro Tours pan out and how the other teams are going to try to kind of move up. Uh, to put it in perspective, the like difference between Ultimate Guard and the fifth place team. Uh, the fifth place team is Mass Drop West, and they're at forty three points. So, yeah, and then so the they've got play- one. Yeah, and the sixth place team is at forty one, then forty, and then thirty seven, and it drops. It starts dropping drops off, off heavily by the time you hit like tenth place. You're at thirty three points. So first to tenth, you're looking at a near twenty point gap. So what you really want to do is either make sure that all of your all of your players are in top eight contention, essentially, which is why these teams Genesis, CFB, Ultra Pro, Ultimate Guard. Uh, have such great chances at getting into the and getting into the team finals and getting into the world championships for that team tournament because they have people who can consistently contend for top eights. And how high the mighty have fallen, Musashi, last year's champion, ended the Pro Tour with 30 points and is at 16th place. Here's the thing, though. There's four Pro Tours in this season in particular. Just because they're at 30 after this Pro Tour doesn't mean they can put up like 60 points next time and be right back at 90 yeah and just hope that other teams get middling things what's really fun is looking at a team that has one player that just goes bananas and pulls the rest of the team up along with them i mean not to say the rest of the players on the team were bad or anything like that but sam illenfeld making that top four put his tower games team which is like i don't recognize any of these names it's just it was one of the tier like i guess you call it tier three or tier four teams from Rich's article we mentioned talked about last week, they're at forty points in seventh place, all because <laughs> of one player going to fourth, uh, fourth in the Pro Tour, like or so you, top yeah. four. It's like it's insane how what's great about this team series I think is that yes, it does. You ha- like to be successful, you have to have consistent finishes across your top five finishers in your team every Pro Tour, but. If you have a player who spikes an event, gets second, gets fourth, and the rest of your players do decent, you can pull the whole team up with you. Absolutely. Now, also, you'll look through if you look through the standings, which are which uh, we have the links to the rosters in the description. Um, the last place teams have 15 points because everyone who shows up gets three pro points, which means that those teams had nobody make day two, which is kind of unfortunate. But yep, yeah, say lovey, yeah, and. Sadly, like one of the teams, Man Traders has BK, Pat Cox, Alex Maljan, David Choa, Gaudenis Vidigaris. I guess just, I think draft was an issue with some a lot of the yeah. guys that, from everything I was seeing on some of these teams, other cards are you know, face-to-face games of all teams. 17 points, like way down the bottom. Corey Burkholt, Burkhart, Eric Froelich, Rich Hone, Gat, Gabe Nassif, Ben Rubin, and David Williams down there. Like, it's a case where that's a lot of good players right there on a good team and they just had a bad weekend yeah can they bounce back like the, the thing to watch is there's some of these teams like face-to-face games that's down there on the back side of this mass drop east is at 19 points and stuff like that team eureka is 24 points they're within striking distance of just a cuss if they string the next three pro tours together pretty decently they're gonna do i think they'll be fine um 
the thing to keep in mind is the fourth Pro Tour of this season is a team Pro Tour. And by team Pro Tour, I mean... It is, isn't it? Yeah, it's a three-man team Pro Tour. Wait, I thought Dominar... one One of the last two. I don't know if it's the last one, but yeah. one of these three remaining ones is a team Pro Tour. Yeah, and that's that's going to change things. Uh, you got to keep in mind that the fourth place team, Ultimate Guard, has PGO, which is probably <laughs> the best team in Magic as of right now because all three of It is of, three of the top five players currently ranked in the world. And they will play on that team. Not to mention, if they decide to do, okay, the other three people on this team are going to be the other team, that's Andrew Cuneo, freaking Paul Ritzel, and John Finkel. That's another yeah. killer team. So for the team for the for the team pro tour for um, PGO Huey Owen and Reed, who plays what format? Oh, is that the split? Like that's one plays standard, one plays modern, one plays legacy. Um, I have my pick, but I I don't, th- I'm not sure if it's correct. I don't. All right, so Huey plays standard. I think. I want to okay. say, oh God, this is going to, Owen, Modern, Reed, Legacy. You see, I think what I would do is I would do Reed, I would do Owen Standard, okay. I would do Reed, Modern, and then Huey, Legacy. But I don't know. I think that that one's ultimately like a pick your poison. Literally, I think they could put like a, any any one of them in any one of those seats and they'll be fine. I'd say Reed on Legacy because I think he'd play his uh, Leovold deck unless something changes between now and then with Deathrite Shaman. Yeah, we'll see. Please, for the love of God, something changed with Deathrite Shaman. I mean, <laughs> what? Am I talking about legacy bannings? No. We don't talk about legacy. We don't play that we don't play that format. Uh says you. <laughs> I have a legacy deck, it's fine. Look, Anyways, I have two um, and I'm a- no, so here's the thing, like I'm actually gonna be starting to play more legacy because uh Grand Prix Seattle next April is a legacy slash standard. Right, it it's is. It's the two. I forgot. Yeah, it's the two GPS in one weekend event that's going on. I'm going to be playing Legacy. Thing is, is am I playing Legacy Infect? I don't know yet. I have five yeah. months to figure it out. If I can sell some cards off and maybe pick up some Volcanic Islands, I might play something else. But I might play like Canadian Threshold. That's yeah. Team or Delver. The kids falling at home who don't <laughs> know some of the weird, crazy legacy names get weird. Legacy names get very weird. Um, but I, I'm either going to be on Infect or some sort of Delver, probably. I don't know. Yeah. Or Burn. Uh, I have. One, I already have well, Burn built. Uh, Burn's not a hard deck to build, though. Although you do need the the twenty Arabian Nights Mountains. That's going to be hard to pull off. Uh, no, it's John Avon full art from OG Zendikar. Listen, if you're not playing Arabian Nights Mountains, I don't want to talk to you. Anyways. <laughs> so, um, so, Team Series. Uh, yeah. The Team Series. Uh, we, we did, I did want to briefly mention uh, your team that you're rooting for in your heart of hearts. Uh, team's Child Play is in 28th out of 37 places at 18 points. Yeah, and that kind of – it's kind of funny. Like, think about, like, there were 37 teams, so they're, like, still 10 off the, the backside. But they only had, like, three more points off of, like, the baseline of what you get. Like you don't actually start seeing teams with like one or like a couple more points, like twenty points and stuff like that, until you're in the the basically the twenty like twentieth place. 
and then you're. Really I think that just go, goes to show how hard the Pro Tour actually is. Yeah, and that's that's it's one cool thing that this team series actually underscores that you might not, you know, really comprehend is that you can get to day two of a Pro Tour at four and was it four and four? It's four and four. Yeah, at four and four, like that kind of record otherwise would be like man four like going x4 ugh. but that's a day two record right there so you could just go four and four and then maybe go five and three the next day and you're ending up with what nine and seven that's nine wins nine and seven record i th- i don't know how many pro points that is yeah but even Hold then on, we can look this up but even then like you're look, sitting at like a nine and seven record and hey you made it to the end of day two of a pro tour with a winning record yeah, like that's not nothing. Like you could do a nine and seven at like a GP. It's like meh. Oh yeah. It's like you're just like you're disappointed at that point. Like at a pro tour, you're like heck yeah. Uh, so by the way, uh, at nine wins, which would be twenty seven pro point or twenty seven match points, you get four pro points. Yeah, so like you're getting pro points for that kind of record, and like. That's just like one win, like one win above like average. Yeah. I so know. you put it in perspective, Seth Manfield for winning got thirty pro points. Yeah, like it's a very top heavy top weighted curve on the point distribution, mm-hmm. which is fine for an event like that. Oh yeah, it's absolutely okay. And it's like, gr- they're and allowed. it's great too, because it like it mentioned, like Sam pulled his team up that top four finish. All the way to forty points. That's, yeah, he he made up twenty two of those points. Yeah, so at fourth. So if not for Sam, his team's sitting down at like twenty seventh place. Instead, they're at seventh oh, yeah. place. Like that. That <laughs> alone shows the impact that a single player can have on a team. For a team that is not chock full of all stars like Ultimate Guard, Ultra Pro, the Mass Drops the metagame guru teams um exactly connected company and those kind of things where hey you could have a dang good day and you you, i mean i don't even know if the rest of the guys on tower games are even qualified for the next pro tour (laughs) yeah it it could all change like it's one of those like we saw it several times at at pro tour amicat pro tour ether revolt pro tour our devastation where not everyone from that team was qualified. And then there were some cases where no one from that team was qualified, so they couldn't earn any points. Yeah, but it's just a case where it's like, hey, these guys got together for one pro tour, tore their hearts out, and put, poured their hearts poured their hearts in into doing well together, trying to do the best they can on a stage that, hey, this might be their first time there, or they're just a bunch of local grinders, or, hey, I've made a couple pro tours, but now's a chance to get on a team and test with some other people. Let's see how it goes kind of thing. That's cool. Yep. And honestly, I think one of the best things that Wizards has done with the Pro Tour in the last couple of years, and the pros seem to agree, is this: the team series is just excellent. Plus, there's also to remember that with the Pro Tour team series, um, for the, before the last Pro Tour of the season, I think they for for this past season they had all the top four teams have all their members qualify for the Pro Tour. So I think they might shift that down some more. Maybe the top six, the top eight teams have all of their members qualified for the last Pro Tour of the season just for a chance to make sure that they can make a final push if not all of their members are qualified. Yeah, say like it might be some players who – and 
another thing that remains to be seen too is how the qualifications are going to be changing because I think it's this year that it's going into effect with the new uh, uh, pro point. The rotating yeah, changes, yeah. The pro yeah. point levels. So that's going to be a wrinkle that these players have never really had to deal with until now. And, you know, I saw, I can't remember who it was talking about today or the other day. Might have been Christian Calcano about like how, like, I'm not necessarily worried about this, but this new rotation thing of the pro point thing is making me want to get out and play more magic again. It's like, or like he, he plays a lot of magic anyway, but it's like, it's actually giving him that like, hey, your goalposts are the incentive, your, the push. Your goalposts the... are always moving now. It's not just like okay, stagnant for a whole season. Let's go. It's like okay, I've got quarters to hit. So yeah, I'm I'm curious and excited to see where this goes. Exactly. Same here. So that's gonna do it for us. Ian, if people wanted to find you on the social medias, where can they do so? You guys can find me on Twitter at dixonij and on Twitch at twitch.tv slash dix. If you guys see me in channels be it in the Magic Channel, Channel Fireball, Star City Games, random Magic streamers here and there. Just say, hey, always great to say hi to people. Um, oh, yeah. Also, I can kind of tell you this. Um, again, Desert Bus for Hope. Coming up, starting Friday, November 17th. Ooh, basically running through thanksgiving american thanksgiving on the 23rd that's usually historically how long it'll run to stay tuned you know we go as long as donations keep coming in after all that's done i know for a fact that i'm going to be having a box of um iconic masters i'm going to crack for zero value because i'm a monster yeah uh, all the lost value i have another box that i got a good deal <laughs> i got a good deal on them through uh there you go mass drop um but I got another one that I have. it's going to join my lovely collection of master sets to draft it someday in the future. I don't even know when. Or you're going to do the the most decadent master sealed event. Honestly, I was considering that too. <laughs> I have 20, 24 seats. <laughs> Let's do it. There you go. But uh, all right. But yeah, so John, where can they find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at jwiley129 and on Twitch at the same handle. So if you see me hopping around a Twitch chat, don't hesitate to say hi. Uh, if you want to reach the podcast directly, you can do so over on Twitter at Eyes and the Mize, or you can shoot us an email at Eyes and the Mize at gmail.com. As always, we love to hear your feedback about how we can best improve the podcast for you, our loyal listeners. Thank you all so much for listening. On behalf of Ian, I'm John, and we'll talk to you all next time.